Welcome to Future Out Loud from the School for the Future of Innovation in Society at Arizona State University. I'm Heather Ross. Together with Andrew Maynard, we bring you conversations with experts on and off campus where we think out loud about our collective future. In today's episode, Andrew and I had the chance to sit down with our colleague, Wes Hirsch, from the Global Security Initiative, where he's a research scientist. Wes is also a senior sustainability scientist at the Julianne Wrigley Global Institute of Sustainability here at ASU. We talked with Wes today in the first of a multi-part podcast about energy and energy transitions and renewable energies. And today's episode, we talked with Wes primarily about his PhD research. He just recently defended his dissertation while he was working full time as a research scientist and a senior sustainability scientist. He's unbelievable. But he had some really interesting things to say about solar energy and the capacity from a technological perspective about solar energy. And as you will very quickly hear, this is a huge, huge conversation. And we, as so often is the case, barely scratch the surface. So before we get to this episode with Wes, as always, Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening to Future Out Loud. We hope that you like what we're doing, and please tell your friends. We want to hear from you as well. So please let us know what you think on Facebook at Future Out Loud, or you can tweet at us at Future Out Loud. You can also find all of our episodes in places like iTunes, like SoundCloud, like our website, futureoutloud.org. Thank you for listening, and now on with Wes Hirsch. Hi, Andrew. Hi, Heather. Hi, Wes. Hello, Heather. Wes, I'm so excited you're here to talk to us about energy. Yes, and you brought coffee, so that'll increase my energy, so that's good. Yes, exactly. Yeah, Uh, yeah, I'm excited. Thanks for having me come in and talk. Thank Uh, you. I've listened to the podcast many times, so yeah, it's great. Excellent. Terrific. We like to bring everybody full circle in that way. Awesome. (laughs) Everyone, if you're listening right now, you get to be on the podcast. Just even, no, just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Might be a lot of people. See my little moment of panic. No, no, I'm not saying I don't want all of our listeners to be on the podcast, and maybe we'll do that someday, some way. This could be a call-in show one day, never know. Oh, Oh, wow. Next level. I'm making things immensely complicated right off the bat. So yeah. yes. Just so. like our energy system. There, <laughs> there we go. Thank you. Yeah. So uh, we, we talked before. We talked here. Um, I'd, so I recently finished my dissertation. It was on energy, specifically on solar energy. Um, and I looked at some of the uh, policy geospatial market factors of that. So I've been steeped in that for many years and kind of uh, finally got that all on paper and defended it. And it was good. And the result was positive. Um, as far as the defense goes. Uh, Can I back you up? Yes. Three seconds. Yeah, I tend to ramble and talk really fast, so do that a lot. What are geospatial market factors? Geospatial and market factors, so I went through those quickly. So I looked at, so when you, uh, as you two know, and maybe probably a lot of your listeners, because I imagine a lot of, uh, you probably get a lot of listeners that are either at ASU or in higher ed. So when you do uh, dissertation research, you tend to focus really, really narrowly on Mm -hmm. one super, super specific problem. Mm -hmm. And that is a wise thing to do. I, of course, did not do that um, (laughs) just because I like to make life hard. But you did pass. I did pass. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. 
through yeah, uh, right through many trials and tribulations. And and my committee said, yeah, this is going to be difficult. Um, I, I can tell you where I started. So I started looking at the U.S. utility market, and I was trying to answer the question of. It seems like there's a high potential for solar in the U.S., and there's some specific reasons uh, for that when it comes to these geospatial factors, which are, you know, you look at where the sun strikes the earth and at what levels of intensity averaged over time, you know, because of clouds and, and different things. Um, uh, but we don't have a lot, uh, at least in our grid system, and we have a bit less uh, in distributed, but it's, um, I think we're over 1%. The last reported data said we're less than 1% solar as far as our total makeup of just electricity. Okay. Uh, but when you look at the potential, it's, you know, I can talk about that, but it's it's kind of mind-boggling how much potential solar energy so, there is. So, oh. so the real challenge is you've got the potential there, but we're still using non-renewables in the main. Yes. yes. And to give you an idea quickly, the, and the reason I focus on solar, the potential, writ large across the earth, not in space, but terrestrially, just on land mass, is we could provide Ten at minimum, ten thousand times all human energy needs, not so electricity. So, I, so I'm yes. going to ask you about this. So, so yeah, this yeah. is the question I was dying to ask when you okay. defended your your PhD, and I didn't get the. Oh well, here's the, your chance. The, the chance yes. To ask. So, so that figure is that assuming that we soak up every little ounce of energy from the sun that's landing on the Earth, or is that just some percentage of the Earth's surface? So that particular figure is. 100% of the land of okay. the Earth's surface, so it's not practical, right? Right. But it's not Unless we lived in the ocean. Right, right, of course. Um, okay. And there are floating solar panels now, right. and floating wind now, too, actually. It's interesting. Right. Um, That's cool. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but that is only, when that figure was done, I think we were... We were under 20% in conversion efficiency for mm -hmm. uh, photovoltaics at the time. Mm -hmm. So that's not 100% of the sun, and of course the, sure. the but, atmosphere but it's, is it, already It's 100% of the land mass, but only a percentage uh, conversion rate between what's sunlight lands on the land mass and what electricity you get. Yeah, yeah, based on yeah. whatever the technology is right yeah, now. Yeah. Um, and that, that you know, they make improvements and they progress on that. It's, it's Even commercially, it's over 20% now conversion, right, right. but mm -hmm. some people are pushing the edge to get even higher. So, so has anybody done the, the calculation of what's realistic. So obviously 100% isn't because you can live anywhere and you're going to decimate the environment because right. you're not going to have that flow of um, solar energy into the environment. So is it 1%, 0.1%? So what is a viable amount of sunlight we could potentially make use of? Yeah, so this is why I kind of, this is why I start from this ridiculous number because there's different ways to slice this. Like right. you could look at like, well, what kind of land area to use, but Honestly, like at the end, it doesn't really matter mm -hmm. um, because even if you just use all rooftops, mm -hmm. um, you'd get pretty close to all electricity needs. Right. Um, wow. And then and you so, start so looking. So that at actually just back, so that in itself is a yeah. pretty profound statement. So oh yeah, that's yeah, amazing. Yes. yes. And wow. and you guys, well, you saw, but the the other big thing too is if you look at this this number about ten thousand times, etc. Like. You could take every other renewable, you could take every other uh, fossil fuel, you could combine all those. You're not even in the ballpark of mm -hmm. what you could get from solar. Right. And, it, and there's a philosophical argument. I, I didn't make one to defend my dissertation, but you know, I say this a lot. All energy solar energy. Yeah, of course. It, yeah, it, it's right. Like the, Almost all. I would argue all, but go ahead. Okay, yeah, <laughs> yes, so, let's so, talk so about that. At, at some point, we should have the debate about sort yeah. of nuclear and, and geothermal. Yeah. Thermal. Right. Uh, which I guess you could actually track back to the beginnings of the solar system. You mm -hmm. could, yes. Okay. So all energy yeah. in the universe <laughs> yeah. is solar energy. I was gonna. I thought you were gonna go like maybe dark energy. 
Um, well, so I do you want to get on there as well? Same, yes. physics background, right? Yes, thank you, physics. Yes, um, you know we haven't found a way to even measure dark energy, so how we're going to harvest it's a different question. But but, um, but certainly practically, yeah. and if you're looking at all of the non-renewables, they're all solar based. They're all solar, um, yeah. If you're looking at wind, yeah. wave, whatever, all solar based. All solar, yes. yeah. So right, so then I look at this and say, well, why are we just going directly to the source? Mm -hmm. um, and then you look and you say, you know, we talk a lot about fusion reactors, but we might make a fusion reactor. It's like, well, we have a fusion reactor. It's been stable for 4 billion years. Right, it's right. at room temperature. It's fantastic. It's distributed all over the earth. Let's just use that. Right. Uh, it works. Mm -hmm. um, so, great. So, let me back up. So, I looked at, uh, you know, the U.S., and I was trying to kind of do this interdisciplinary thing where I was looking at these geospatial factors, which is, yeah, there's lots of sun, but specifically to your question, in these areas, and I was looking at a state by state, like how much sun does Arizona get? How does that compare to Minnesota, et cetera? Um, and then looked at, okay, well, there's policy factors um, in that uh, I used as a proxy uh, renewable, portfolio, renewable portfolio standards. I tend okay. to jumble that when I say it too fast. Um, and I thought, well, this is a pretty good proxy indicator for what people's appetite is, the, the public's appetite is for renewables. Yeah. Right, in terms um, of the investment. Yes. Yeah, and so I took that as a, a just because there was no correlation there that I could find. But someone did a paper actually right before I defended, um, and I was able to make a last minute edit to the actual paper, mm -hmm. um, that they did prove that correlation. They were like, yeah, it's super highly correlated. The RPS targets of an individual state um, when pulled against somebody is close to what they want. Question, what yes. is an RPS target? Renewable portfolio standard. Thank you. RPS okay. for short, thank you, yeah, yes. sorry. Yeah. I'll be playing the role That's of good. the uninformed. <laughs> yeah. It's method acting is what it is. <laughs> so <laughs> me, it's just ignorance. I <laughs> so, yeah, I was looking at this this kind of geospatial, geophysical, um, you know, how much sun is striking the earth in particular areas, state by state, how much, um, what, what kind of appetite do they have, and then looking at, well, what does that actually yield, right? How much energy do they derive from solar, particularly, because that's mm -hmm. what I'm interested in. And so, it's a bit wonky and geeky, but I found these interesting correlations, and they were... Um, uh, multivariate and non-intuitive and statistically significant and publishable. Right. So oh, great, right? Check that by. I published that research actually. Um, and so it ended up being the second paper of my dissertation, but the first thing that I submitted for publication. So that's that's good, right? But at the same time, it was like, okay, this is neat and it's publishable and it's novel, but I, I don't really understand this, to be honest. Like I've written about it, I had some ideas for why I think this, this relationships exist and why it's complicated. And and the, the, the big nugget out of that one is, is if you have high renewable portfolio standards mm -hmm. in a state, it does correlate uh, relatively well to higher solar energy use okay. in your state. Mm -hmm. If you have high solar radiance, it also correlates slightly better to high solar use, which makes okay. sense. Mm -hmm. There's an interaction effect between those two, that the sum is, is or sorry, the, the total is greater than the sum of its parts. Mm -hmm. So then the, the next question is, well, because those two are correlated, right? Um, and it makes sense intuitively, and that's what I expected to find, where it's like, well, Arizona has a lot of sun. So if you're a politician here, you'll say, well, let's push for high RPS because, because we know we can get results. it. Yes. Yes. Right. But what happens if you go to Portland or Washington? Right. Yeah. So yeah. before you even get to that, turns out those two things are not correlated oh, at all. Okay. Uh, really? I take that back. They're 0.001% correlated. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so nothing, it's right? Weird. Yeah. Okay. Um, so then I'm like, well, why? Okay. I, that's interesting and novel and publishable, so that's good. Uh, but at the same time, it didn't help me personally. Like, why is that? What, what is going on, right? Well, that's the, yeah. I, I think that's a big part of the problem with a lot of the research that we do in the way that we say, aha, it's publishable, right? Yep. And that, like, that's the goal. Right. But we're not answering that, so what? Doesn't actually help. Of the Heilmeyer. There we go. Catechism, yeah. right? Heilmeyer catechisms, right. So the so what? 
so then I thought, okay, well, how do I do this? And I, was, I started thinking about, well, if I want to understand what's going on in this space and squishy and I'm right in the thick of it, my typical approach to problem solving is general is that I want to pull back and figure out what the parameter space is. What am I actually working with? So when I say pull back, like me, I tend to think geographically. I'd worked a lot as a geospatial analyst for my career before coming to ASU, and my first degree was in geography, so that tends to be how I think. Mm -hmm. So I want to pull out geographically and start looking at global metrics and statistics. So, you know, like this thing about 10,000 times, and there's all kinds of kind of geeky, wonky stuff. And when you look at the price performance curve of solar energy, so solar photovoltaics specifically, but this is actually true of wind and, and any other tech-derived uh, energy uh, technology, um, the price performance, so it's a negative exponential. So the price is getting cheaper for the same amount of performance uh -huh. in a nonlinear fashion. Okay. It's aggressively accelerating yes. negatively because we're talking about the price. Because this right? is getting better. It's getting cheaper. You can do more with a lot less, less dollars yeah. wise. Right. Yeah. In a nonlinear fashion is yes. the key thing, yeah. right? So when you, and this trend um, that you can you, you can graph this and uh, it's, it's a fairly accurate it's basically every time we double the amount of solar that's been mm -hmm. shipped on the planet uh, cost decreases by 20 percent for the same performance right okay. and that's it's Swanson's law which is just a, a special case of Wright's law and the most popular special case of Wright's law is uh, the obvious one, which I'm not forgetting with the computer chips. Oh, Moore's Moore's law, thank you. Which, right. which I have a bit of a beef with, but that's okay. Right. That's one side. Yeah, yeah, no, and it's just <laughs> this idea that, so the, the more interesting point, right, is that, to me at least, is that you look at, like, I'll talk a lot about, and other people do, like, well, okay, solar and coal and wind and uh, nuclear. Mm -hmm. Those are very different, not just in the fact that some are fossil fuels and some are not. Solar panels don't generate energy. Right, I know that sounds obvious, and then but like but think about that. But they don't generate any energy at all. They're just black they panels that sit there. Yes. They yeah. do, and the energy is near infinite, not quite you know ten thousand x of what you need. Um, but it's you know it, you have all the energy you need there in, the, in this particular technology. And so now you're looking at like well, there's no commodity to be sold. Yeah. So there's no commodity markets to fluctuate. And then you look at like well, coal technology as an example um, had gotten better slightly and it's leveled off for you know, decades and decades mm -hmm. and it's a very old technology there's not much more you can squeeze out of that to get more juice and then you're just looking at the coal markets and where we find coal but and, if you yeah, ask Deb Strumsky who was on the podcast in December was she Andrew Sometime something ago. oh it, it yes. was it was not warm and stuffy in my office so it must have been December um, the Commodities market for coal has been incredibly stable. Yes. For decades. Yep. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah, and I'm not arguing that that'll go up or down. I don't know if we'll keep finding more coal forever. I suspect that the planet is finite, and so it eventually will run out of coal. But that may be a hundred thousand years. But you can see that. how you've got a very different dynamic with solar. Yes. You do because it's it's decreasing every day, and that trend right. that twenty percent for every double shift capacity has been going since 1976. Right. Wow. Right. And so, it's been wow. stable. And so. Then, uh, if you look at the price points at the moment, where are we at? How competitive is solar with, I'm going to say, first of all, coal and then natural gas? Yeah, so the problem with, it's a great question, and the problem with it is there's no simple answer, and so I wrote a dissertation on it. But right. It's a bad right. answer, too. Yeah, but Wait, no. so, okay, so and I'll let's tell you why that, explore but, yeah. this myth. So you wrote a dissertation, therefore there must be an answer. No, no, oh, I, yeah, that's <laughs> no. shocking. Yeah, it's solved. We can yeah. just shut down the podcast. We're good. <laughs> we solved it. Just read the paper. It'll be fine. No, uh, yeah. So that question is so highly nuanced because there's the price performance of of uh, the actual uh, photovoltaic cell, mm -hmm. um, and 
there is some market differentiation depends on whether it's produced in China or the US or Germany. I mean, there's some factors there. Those are mostly... So you, you've got to make the thing and then put it out there and then get so have some way of getting the, the, the power from the sun out of the photovoltaic into the grid. Right, and where you are on the earth makes a huge difference into where whether that's price competitive or not. Right, okay. Right, because the differentiation when I said, oh, there's solar irradiance and these geospatial or geographic factors matter, um, you know, even if you don't go to extreme examples like, well, what if you went to Antarctica or something like that, um, even within um, the, the U.S., like, right, the variance between those can be probably 2x in right. the amount of potential sun that you could right. have. Right. Um, and in some areas of the world that, you know, it's just amazing. Arizona is a really good place. It's not quite the best in the world, but it's really close okay. um, for solar. And, you know, the other places aren't as good, but you can still get quite a bit of energy because, mm -hmm. you know, the sun's still shining in lots of places. <laughs> Um, so that, that's why it's hard to talk about, like, well, when will it be cheaper than coal? And it's like, well, it's going to be different depending on where you are in the globe. And, you know, even if I'm getting electricity from coal and then someone else is getting electricity from coal, even in another state, um, we probably aren't paying the same price for retail rates. So, that's, so that it gets way more complicated on the policy so, side as well. So, so. so let me sort of ask a couple of slightly different questions. I, one is the obvious question, sort of what does the portfolio look like at the moment mm -hmm. um, in time? just either take Arizona or take the United States mm -hmm. um, and then secondly and this I think sort of gets to what you've been looking at um, what are the barriers to being able to take more advantage of the sunlight that's hitting the earth yeah so that's great so that uh, so those are good questions so the first one let's go to the global scale yeah. um, so when you look at it on that scale, um, some of the things become simplified. So you have still have a great deviation on your geospatial side. Your policy side, for the most part, doesn't matter because while the Paris Accord and other agreements are very aspirational and people want to find ways to do these things, they aren't specified targets and they don't have teeth and nobody's going to go back and say, right. well, now you have to build this solar array because you went to Paris and agreed to something. It just doesn't work that way. Um, but the market factors are huge because, you know, if, if when, when I should say, um, China has flooded the market with PV, like that affected everybody globally and everybody had to adjust. And so, and, and there's lots of major players in there. Um, so that's, that's advancing. And, and when you start looking in the aggregate at that type of data, um, that's, it gets simpler in a way. So typically as the problems get bigger, they get more complex, right. but this is actually the opposite because at a grand scale, you're like, well, look, this price performance globally is here and we know what the map of the world looks like. And, yeah. you know, we can start to predict like, well, in this country, in this country, it'll be competitive with sure. coal, most likely, you know, it gets a little more nuanced. But so then you ask, well, OK, well, what's the actual barrier? So the other piece of that was the global piece. Mm -hmm. I also went completely the other way and said, well, if you zoom way down in and I chose to stop at the urban level because I figured, OK, well, this is the last level where policy is still relevant. I mean, you may maybe make an argument for suburban maybe, but um, I thought, okay, this is a, a relevant policy level of analysis though, where these other factors still play in, um, what are the barriers to that? Mm -hmm. And so I had a, a kind of a, a design problem here. Um, if I go into the urban level, and again, because I'm trying to build this framework, um, I could try, I, I end up choosing, the, the end of the story is I end up choosing the city of Hong Kong, and there's right. reasons for that. Mm -hmm. Because it's a cool place to go. Oh, yeah, I, it's a great I, place to go. I think that's really <laughs> It is. You, well, you saw my Twitter, and I yes, tweeted yeah. from uh, uh, Victoria Peak, and so, yeah, that was the draft. No. So I picked it because it was a very extreme city, and I'll, I'll talk about why it was an extreme city and why that was crucial to the, the design of the research. So, But say I'd picked, uh, you know, somebody said, well, if you're doing Hong Kong, why don't you do Singapore as well, because they're comparable. And if you're doing that, why don't you look at another city, maybe not in Asia, because you want an Asian city, not an Asian city. 
So you could start doing more and more case studies, right? Similar to the one I did in Hong Kong. There's a time issue and you know, you'd end up with infinite research to do and, I, mm -hmm. and that portion of the research was qualitative and I did interviews and, and whatnot. That was a bit different. But there's also an issue when you're dealing with cities of that size, once you get to something where you can reach statistical significance, mm -hmm. So let's say your N is gonna get north of 30 or 40 cities. Mm -hmm. um, if they're global cities, you have to then look back, and I, I remember making a spreadsheet for those for the top cities in the world and said, okay, if I had the top 50 cities, I'd have X percentage of the global population. Right. Mm -hmm. And then am I doing analysis of the urban scale or am I back at the global scale? But, but I yeah. also found it very clear from your work that each urban area is different. The, Absolutely. The factors that determine how they decide what their energy portfolio Absolutely. is, change dramatically so you can't well you can average across them but it's meaningless it might be meaningless you might be able to drive something that is globally relevant now right. but then is it compared yeah so I was like okay I'm not gonna do that I'm gonna pick one city that's the most extreme example I can find for the particular factors I was looking at and so when you look at Hong Kong so again I was looking at geospatial factors so how much Sun striking that particular the earth policy factors and market factors with Hong Kong the solar radiance profile is not quite as good as Arizona but better than most of the United States so right. a decent amount of sun. There's some cloud issues, but on, I, I was going to say, which surprises me. I mean, Hong Kong's always cloudy when I go. Yeah, but then you look at the total amount of sun they get in a year, and it averages out to be decent, right? right it's right. way better than places, say, like Minnesota, where they're doing sure. lots and lots of solar right now. Uh, far better than Germany that's doing lots and right. lots of solar, right? right. Um, so that's interesting, right? There's, there's potential, let's say at least. Um, then you look at, like, uh, there's money, right? Hong Kong has the fourth highest concentrate GDP per square meter mm -hmm. concentration in the world. I think they have the largest fleet of uh, Rolls Royces in the world as well. That doesn't Probably true. Ours. And then there's these other kind of crazy statistics about I've 50 half the people in Hong Kong live above the 15th floor and so wow. just oft quoted right and then it's 14th or 15th somewhere around mm -hmm. there. But yeah, it's mm -hmm. a very vertical city, very stacked, yep, very yep. you know, uh, the the economic density of that city is very very high. So yep. my whole point was just that Individually, uh, they have a lot of purchasing power if they sure. wanted to make a decision as a, yes. as a it's, it's a city, it's a, not really a country, it's a special administrative region. Mm -hmm. um, Google that if you're interested in that and the history that kind of plays in a little bit to the research, but not dramatically. So, um, so you look at that and you say, okay, lots of money, lots of potential solar. There's some land space issues that are very extreme, um, but they have the potential to do stuff. But right now they have no solar in one windmill. And just to be clear, one windmill. One windmill. One, farm is one, one windmill. windmill. Yep. Wow. <laughs> Lama Island. So, yeah. Uh, they have some other, uh, you know, testing so, so, facilities so, so, and so other they're things. Not, they're not yeah. huge fans of, of renewable energy, in other words. Yeah, right. Or fans. <laughs> or fans. Or fans. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you start to look at, well, why, that, why is that? And so I was asking, well, why is that? And this was the most extreme case. And there might be, somebody maybe is listening, but like, but this city's even more extreme. If that's the case, you know, email me. That'd be great. Yeah. Um, but that was the most extreme one I knew of and that I had access to and I could go talk to. Um, so then I went to Hong Kong a couple times, but specifically I went back for several weeks and did lots of in-depth interviews um, to try to answer this question. Because, and the reason I went to qualitative and inductive is the whole rest of the dissertation was very quantitative and a priori hypotheses, which uh, if you're not an academic or don't do scientific research, means you have some idea beforehand or a hypothesis and then you get data and test it and see yeah. if you're right or if you can prove the null. Um, there was, I originally wanted to do this kind of 3D geostatistical analysis of Hong Kong of all the rooftop spaces and what the potential for solar would be. And, right. And uh, I had these ideas, and I actually um, I knew the software that I wanted to use, and I'd used that software a lot in my past career, and so I'd, and I'd actually got the data that I needed from um, the Hong Kong government to do the analysis, and 
that, that took a lot of effort and it was ready to go on that. And um, this is uh, why if also if you're an academic and you're listening uh, or aspiring academic, do, do a thorough lit review. <laughs> More so than I did. Because I finally, I came across and it wasn't published in academic journals, but it was, um, was actually openly published where the government had funded, the government of Hong Kong had funded two different studies on this exact same thing. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, they were very similar. And it, it was done by uh, Hong Kong Polytechnic University or some, uh, some, some researchers there. And they actually, they made a website and they, mm. it was very nice, right? I just didn't see this in, the, in previous uh, kind of literature review. But it was well done. And so, the, and they had a number, it was 14.3%, I believe. Is, so they said, if you took all the usable surfaces of Hong Kong and mm-hmm. 70% of the, the land surface area of Hong Kong, you can't use because it's parks, it's preserved, it's completely right. untouchable. You can't mm-hmm. do us, you mm-hmm. can't build anything there. Uh, you could barely build a sidewalk to go walking there, right? Um, and then they said, okay, st- subtract all that out. Um, and then some of the rooftops aren't suitable and because of things that are on the structures and subtract that out. So they did that analysis. They looked at legitimately suitable and they still said, yeah, you could, you could get about 14% of Hong Kong's energy, or sorry, electricity needs, right. um, which is actually a pretty sizable portion of their energy needs because they, they have a lot of good public transit mm-hmm. that's electrically driven um, from just doing, you know, putting solar in every appropriate place that you could put solar. Right. Um, and, and they'd actually done a preliminary study of that too, uh, several years before that. And so I looked at that, and I, because I'd already had the data, and I was ready, I was like, "Well, I could do it more technical, and I could do 3D surfaces, mm-hmm. and I could be like, well, what if we did transparent, thin film solar coatings on the sides of buildings, and no one's ever calculated? Maybe I could do that, right?" And then at some point, I stopped and was like, "I wonder, like this research the government funded, like, mm-hmm. does anyone care about this? Right. Because yeah. there's still no solar, right?" So. Yeah. So I started, it was like, maybe I'm going to rethink this. I started looking at the, the Hong Kong Legislative Council, it's, uh, they call them LegCo for short. Um, they, they record everything that gets said in session. So I thought, well, they funded this, right? Maybe they're talking about it. Maybe it's going to invoke big changes. Also, too, it's probably to preface that there's two utility companies in Hong Kong. There's a scheme of control agreement that allows them to operate in Hong Kong. They have a duopoly there. Mm-hmm. It's broke out by geography. So no one else can come in and sell energy there, right? It's just these two companies. Right. But it also means the government can say, you're, you're, you're going to do 14% solar now because we saw this report and we know you can do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but they haven't, right? So, and not only that, like, no one's, in the LegCo, there's a few mentions of renewable energy, a very scant few over years of, of data that I, that I was able to go through at least. Um, you know, like, oh, we should do more, right? Like, mm-hmm. nothing really concrete, nothing with teeth, so, no so specific there was, plan. there's no policy will there from, from what you could tell. Exactly, yeah, it's yeah. a better way to put that. So then I looked and said, well, why is there no policy will? Right, and so then I go back to this on the U.S. case. So, well, I was assuming RPS was a proxy for will, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, is that true? So, okay, I don't know. I have to go talk to people. I'm not, you know, I, I've visited Hong Kong, but I'm not from there. I don't know, mm-hmm. really know what the talk on the street is when it comes to solar energy, right? So, um, so you know, I have limited time, and, and the, many people in Hong Kong speak English on a native or near-native mm-hmm. language or near-native level, but that's not the native. Well, more people speak Cantonese, I should yeah. say there, right, yes. uh, natively. Um, so there's some access issues and stuff, and I thought, well, maybe I'm not seeing the whole picture here. So the people, and I had limited time, so I said, oh, the people I want to target are people who work in sustainability, um, and I and also I wanted to get a few energy people, but not too many energy people, because I didn't want to have the kind of thing I've been talking about now, a very wonky discussion right. about, yeah, yeah. I've been studying this for 25 years, and here's, let's break out the percentages, and let's look at references, mm-hmm. and, right? Like, just because that, to me what wouldn't get me to the answer of why is this why are there no policy drivers for this right, yeah. right? um so, so i th- find 
Well, so yeah, so when I looked at these sustainability professionals, but they weren't in energy, I thought they would be the avant-garde. They would uh-huh. be the most forward-thinking people in this mm-hmm. regard that weren't necessarily uh, you know, experts or wonks on it. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I found is nobody, I don't want to say nobody cares. Um, <laughs> they have but, other priorities. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. So the most telling example, I think, is I had this, uh, there's a so-called energy trilemma, which is most uh societies in the world and when they when they think about their energy they're balancing between energy security um, mm-hmm. both in terms of reliability like do your lights turn on and then like kind of geopolitical security if you supply of coal or gas or whatever um, or oil um, they think in terms of sustainability so you know mm-hmm. is this polluting and whatnot and then they think of terms of equity or affordability okay mm-hmm. um, can you afford the electricity that's being or energy that's being generated right mm-hmm. um, and so I asked I said well how would you rank these three right like what are the most important things if you had to rack and stack and keep in mind like the, for the most part, these are sustainability professionals. A lot of times, mm-hmm. people they have sustainability in their title, but they do kind of waste assume, management or something. You'd right, assume right. that that's right. I can't even say yeah. sustainability would be at the top of the. Yep. Not yes. one was it at the right. top of anybody I talked to. Right. Yeah, and okay. I think one person ranked it second. Everybody else ranked it third. Interesting. Wow. Yeah. So and it, and a lot of it, I got a lot of interesting comments. A lot of it was. So one person who actually did work in energy said, "Well, and you you heard this too because remember we we talked about this at the dissertation was like." Hey, look, there's uh, 6,000 some elevators in Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. There's like, there's a million some people in the metro right now in the MTR uh, uh, underneath the ground that's being run on electricity. Like, what would happen if that went out right now? Right, right. And, and so, I, so this I found absolutely fascinating that yeah. security trumped everything. Security in terms of making sure that that electricity supply was reliable, non interruptible. It was there when people. And that's what people focused on? Yeah. Oh, 100%. Interesting. Yeah. Super interesting. The, the other thing that I thought would come out but didn't, and I was careful of this, and these interviews were anonymous and whatnot, but if you know the history of Hong Kong, and the, you know, it was uh, controlled by the British for 100 years, or 99 years, turned over, they just had the 20th anniversary of the turnover to mainland China. There's a, if you've talked to anyone from Hong Kong, you've been there, there's a huge tension still between is Hong Kong its own mm-hmm. thing? Yeah, it's yeah, certainly yeah. not its own country, but it, sometimes in its mind it thinks it is. Uh-huh. Um, so I thought, well, hey, you know, renewables would also give this like autonomy play, right? Because yeah. you'd control right. more and you wouldn't be susceptible to the market and most yep. of the gas and coal and oil they buy us from mainland. Um, but that, nobody cared about that. Like that never came up. That was right. never really an right. issue. Um, really so, yeah. so, so do you think that this is real? Do you think that um, there is a danger of them losing energy security if they go over to solar more? Or do you think that it's just an assumption and an attitude? People are so used to the idea of either not using renewables or thinking that renewables are unreliable that they won't even entertain it. Yeah. Oh, so the latter, I think. Right. I was trying to think if there is is there a social form of psychosomatic? I don't know. Social psychosomatic. Oh, this well, idea that's a that, whole different paper. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> like, so I, I felt like so I did a bit like even on um, psychogeography, right? Uh-huh. Like, because people were saying, well, so, sorry, psychogeography. 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 Yes. Yeah. So this idea of, of how you perceive space, your right. geographic space, right? So it, a lot of it starts with like you can take uh, kids and ask them to draw their neighborhood, and then mm-hmm. you do that over the years, and that kind of the detail and the scope of that expands. So that's your perception sure. of where you oh, live, and yeah, yeah, yeah. So right. Cool. So if you look at this in terms of a lot of people I interviewed, we're like, well, you, you can't do you can't do that here in Hong Kong because right. there's so many tall buildings and it's cloudy mm-hmm. and it's uh, there's all these factors that get in the way. And it's like, well, have you heard about this, this paper that, that says you could actually you could do it here to quite an extent? I'm like, no, I haven't heard of that. Um, 
so, so it's yeah. almost social momentum. I, so this is yeah. this yeah. is what they know, and it's incredibly hard to transition them from that mindset to, mm-hmm. to something else. That's my yeah. That, that yeah. is my opinion. So it seems so. like energy, despite the fact that you know renewable sources like solar mm-hmm. are intrinsically global. Yep. The pra- the understanding of energy is really local. I would agree. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and a matter of fact, so the, the whole kind of how this commented, at least in the paper, was the whole idea was that at this global level, you you know, you, these market factors are important, geospatial is something you should probably pay attention to. Mm-hmm. As you go down and you're at a national level, at least in the U.S. case, it gets really weird and squishy and these, there's all these factors and they're kind of intermingled and you're not really mm-hmm. sure what's going on. And as you get down to this urban level, the policy drivers derived from you know what public value is it trumps all yeah um so so this is where we're gonna have to have you back because this is to me where it gets really interesting talking about transitions yes Mm -hmm. you've got a situation where in principle we've got enough solar energy coming in to really utilize it in massive ways massively more than we do at the moment Um, technologically from what I from what I've seen, we're at the, the tipping point where it's actually becoming really viable to, to use the technologies now. But you've got people involved, you've got policies involved, you've got communities yep. involved, yep. you've got psychology involved, um, and all of these seem to be barriers that are preventing us getting over that hump and getting the, us to the other side. I think so. I would say that. Um, I would also say that another huge factor of solar that's that's really different from other all other energy forms that we've talked about at least is it's infinitely scalable and distributable mm-hmm. um, and that your pocket calculator and the one mm-hmm. gigawatt thing is basically they're right, roughly the same technology the same. Right. and so in Hong Kong this might not be as irrelevant but especially in the United States other places where those are going to clash is eventually people are going to say hey solar panels are cheap Right. Um, yeah, right. I can actually buy this and get my electricity cheaper than what I can off the grid. You're totally mm-hmm. disrupting the system. Yep. And, and yeah, and those two ends will clash. Right? I, I, yeah. We haven't even touched on this, the fact that yeah. as you go to that distributed system, nobody's paying for the infrastructure. Right. Yes. yes. So I think that's probably as good a place as any to leave it right okay. now. But, but we should come wow, back. to be continued. Part two. All right. Part two. I've already, I'm already on to like, you know, the Fast and the Furious photovoltaic part, you know, as well. We'll get a part Five. seven out of it. What are, are they on eight? Oh, they're on what? eight. Yeah, because fate. Yeah. Oh, okay. That, yeah. yeah. All right. And that is my extent of pop culture knowledge for the summer. <laughs> there go. All right. Thanks, Wes. Thanks, Andrew. Thank, Thank you. you. For more where that came from, check out the School for the Future of Innovation in Society at sfis.asu.edu. Future Out Loud is produced with the support of the School for the Future of Innovation in Society and the Risk Innovation Lab at ASU. Mark Van Hare created our music. Ana Lopez is our production assistant. Our website is futureoutloud.org. Subscribe to Future Out Loud on iTunes or SoundCloud or wherever you get your fine podcasts.